0: Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. As has been mentioned already, uh, this year marks the 300th anniversary of the hymn, Joy to the World. So over the next few weeks during this season of Advent, we are going to be talking about joy. So I'd like to begin this morning by making some general observations about joy and then move on to our specific focus for this week. And then I want to wrap up by talking about why I didn't want to preach about that this morning. Because that sounds like a good time to me. So, that's where we're headed. Let's begin with some general observations about joy. There are two that I want to mention. First observation. Joy is different from happiness. That's a good question. Joy is different from happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. It depends on what you're going through. It's listening to your favorite song or being surrounded by your family and friends, or depending on what type of person you are, or how things went last weekend. It's when all your friends and family go home so you can finally have some peace and quiet. (laughs) Happiness is an emotion that we feel in a given setting. And this also means that happiness is fleeting, doesn't it? Happiness is temporary. It ends when the song is over. It ends when the vacation o- is over. It ends when the people who make you happy leave. Joy, on the other hand, is more of a state of being. It's something that runs deeper, and it's something that we have whether we're happy in a particular moment or not. It's abiding, and it stays with us regardless of the particulars that we're experiencing. That's joy. So I know that some of you know some people like this. And knowing many of you, I know that some of you are like this. For example, I've walked into many of your hospital rooms. And never once have I walked into a hospital room and heard someone say, I don't know. I kind of enjoy being here. (laughs) Comfy bed. Free cable. The food is fantastic. Never heard anybody say stuff like this before. And yet... Many of us know these people, and some of you are these people, that are in these uncomfortable settings with tubes going into and coming out of all sorts of uncomfortable places. And you're certainly not happy. You're not happy about it. But there's still some genuine sense of groundedness regardless of the circumstance. That is what joy is. So, that's the first general observation. Joy is different. From happiness. Happiness is a temporary emotion. Joy is an abiding state of being. Here's the second observation Joy is a byproduct. Joy is a byproduct. It's not something that we turn on or off, it's something that we achieve over time. It's something that requires practice. Have you ever tried to be just super joyful at any given moment? Like you're in traffic? <laughs> And you're just going to try to be joyful. Or that person shows up on your call ID and you know you have to answer it because you've already sent it straight to voicemail one too many times. So you're just going to try super hard to be joyful. You can't exactly grit your teeth and sing I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. As good a song as it is. It doesn't sound that good for gritted teeth. Because all we're trying to do is manufacture temporary happiness when we do that. Instead, Joy is a byproduct of other practices. So think of it this way. How many of you grow vegetables? Anyone here grow vegetables? Yeah, so you buy some plants or you plant some seeds into the ground or in pots. And then what do you need to do to get vegetables on those plants? Yeah, you water them. What else? Fertilize them. What else? Sun, yeah, you have to buy the right soil, which can be very confusing because there are like 30 different kinds of soil when you go to Home Depot. Maybe you do some pruning, you do some things to keep pests away. That sounds like way too much work for me. I have a much easier way to get some tomatoes on a tomato plant. You go to Harris Teeter, you buy some tomatoes, you get some duct tape... And you duct tape those suckers to the plant, right? And there you have it. You have a tomato plant with tomatoes on it. And this is what I mean when I say that joy is a byproduct and not something we manufacture. Joy comes like fruit on a plant that's been carefully tended to. When we try to grit our teeth and force it, instead, all we're doing is duct taping tomatoes to the plant, They're there, but they're not real, they're not genuine, they're not lasting, and they're not coming from a place of true health or wholeness. This is why I really like that line in Joy to the World that says, Let every heart prepare him room. It's a reminder that true, grounded joy that's beyond happiness requires some sort of preparation to it. So, those are our two general observations about joy. Joy is different from happiness, and joy is a byproduct that comes from other work, practice, and preparation. And all of this leaves us with a question, which is, what sort of practices can we take part in to prepare our hearts for joy? Or, to put it differently, if joy is a byproduct, what can we do to foster joy? And this is going to be our specific focus this morning. What can we do to foster joy? Well, there's a series of dialogues between Bishop Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama that became a book conveniently called The Book of Joy. And they say that one of the pillars of joy, one of the primary practices that we can take part in to foster joy in our lives is just shifting our perspective. So they rightly say that we can't change our emotions about a given situation. But what we can do is look at that situation from a different angle. And that is actually very easy to do. So how do we foster joy? How do we prepare our hearts for joy? We change our perspective. So one example that they use is that uh, we can look at all the tragedy and all of the calamity in the world, or we can choose to look at all of the people who devote their lives to healing the people who are caught up in that calamity. I think of some of the people that I look up to the most who are people who have really experienced some pretty horrific things in their lives firsthand. But rather than gritting their teeth and trying to manufacture some kind of fake happiness, that experience became a call to help and to heal and to restore. They changed their perspective about their situation, and it brought a call and it brought joy into their lives. As I've come to know more and more people who start new ministries or charities or not-for-profits, I've noticed that this is just sort of a pattern. If you ask these people what caused them to do the work that they do, the origin story never goes like this. It's never, well, I had a super easy life and then I got super rich doing pretty much nothing, so I decided to start this new ministry. Instead, the story usually began, begins with, my life was going great, but then I lost everything. Or I got a diagnosis. Or I saw someone that I love get trampled by an unjust system. Or I saw people living a certain way and it broke my heart and I couldn't sleep for months. Rather than trying to change their emotions about their situations, they changed their perspective. And rather than seeing a situation as dire or hopeless, they saw it as an opportunity. The way they put this in the Book of Joy is that we're invited to see the blessing in the curse— And the joy in the sorrow. Another crucial way to change our perspective is to look at things with a longer view. So in our New Testament lesson, we find Paul writing to the church in Rome saying, Salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, but the day is near." We have a tendency to look at our present circumstances, especially the more dire ones, as something that's just never going to go away. But Paul reminds us that we are moving somewhere. We're not always going to be stuck where we are, because where we are isn't where we were. This is true of our own lives, but this is also true of history in general. It's easy to be jaded with the world or society or politics or however you want to frame that. But we aren't who we were 50 years ago, are we? And we're certainly not who we were 100 years ago, and we're definitely not who we were 200 years ago. We are moving toward something. And we remember this when we change our perspective and have a longer view that places our present after where we've been but before where we're going. This is how we prepare our hearts for joy or nurture joy, perspective. We change our perspective on our situations. Now, as promised, I want to talk about why I didn't want to preach about all of this perspective business this morning. When I first started reading and preparing for this first week of Advent, all of this changing perspective stuff, just being completely honest, it sounded a little too Pollyanna for me. You know, just look on the bright side. Look for the blessing and the curse. In every crisis, there's an opportunity. It was all just really making me cringe a little bit. Cringe? Yeah. It almost sounded like we were supposed to ignore our suffering or repress our emotions. And I didn't really care for this topic until I got out of my own way, and I remembered who was writing these messages about having a perspective of hope. Like Bishop Tutu and the Dalai Lama, these are people who suffered and continue to suffer from persecution and racism and exile. The Apostle Paul was repeatedly beaten, run out of town after town, and eventually executed. Earlier in the service, Linda read for us a passage from the prophet Isaiah, who was preaching about our swords being beaten into plows because one day there won't be any more war. Well, he lived during a time of civil war, when his country divided, split into two because of political rivalries. And then the larger of the now two countries was invaded and destroyed by a grotesquely violent empire. See... I realized that having a perspective of hope doesn't make you a Pollyanna. It makes you a revolutionary. I remember when I was going through one of the most difficult times in my life, personally, I ran into my friend Liz, and she pulled me aside and she said, I know exactly what you're going through because I've been through it too, and I want you to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and your life is going to be so much better for you. Now, What I wanted to say to Liz was, how about I don't tell you what I wanted to say? Because there's no pulpit-appropriate way of saying what I wanted to say to Liz. But what I did say to Liz was, thanks, Liz. But what I love about what Liz said to me is that she was absolutely right. She had the perspective of somebody with the longer view, and she didn't deliver that message to me to simply try to dull my pain, But to share that larger perspective with me. And that's what changing perspective to hope does. It's not something that weak people do because they can't confront the reality of their bad situation. It's something strong people do to place that reality in its proper place, between a past and a future. Seeing a bad situation as having some potential hope baked into it doesn't make you naive. And hope doesn't just come with a bunch of soft cushions to numb suffering. Hope has teeth. Hope is defiant. Hope is scrappy. So may we prepare our hearts for joy. We can't do this by gritting our teeth and trying to change our emotions, but we can do this by changing our perspectives. So may we change our perspectives to hope, a defiant hope that sees something bigger than the present. Amen? Amen. Amen.